You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Let's start with impeachment this morning. As the Democrats rush to impeachment, I thought that um, I thought Mitch McConnell said it best when they rushed through impeachment in the House of Representatives only to sit on it now. What are they afraid of? I don't know that they're afraid of anything. We've heard all of the conspiracy theories as to why Nancy Pelosi is holding on to articles of impeachment. But um, moving forward, what will the Democrats do? How will they do it if they do anything? Let's start this morning. The majority whip James Clyburn is talking about articles of, of impeachment and how long they're willing to hold these from the Senate. Um, now, this is a, a fairly long clip. I just want you to hear a, a quick a little bit of what Clyburn answered when talking about this holding on articles of impeachment. Uh, the president had more House members vote to impeach him than any president in history. To an extent, the outcome was predetermined. We knew it. After the president was impeached, a bit of a surprise to many people when the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, suggested that she might wait to transmit the approved articles of impeachment to the Senate, which could possibly delay the Senate trial. I want you to listen to what she said last night. Delay transmitting the articles of impeachment and also sending over the House managers. Listen to this. We cannot name managers until we see what the process is on the Senate side, and I would hope that that will be soon, as we did with our legislation, our Resolution 660, to describe what the process would be. Uh, So far, we haven't seen anything that looks fair to us, so hopefully it will be fair, and when we see what that is, we'll send our managers. Why the delay, Congressman? Well, delay is made necessary because uh, the majority of the Senate uh, has made it very clear uh, that he's not going to be impartial, he's not going to be fair, he will collude, if you please, uh, with uh, the White House, uh, at least the White House's attorneys, uh, in order to decide how he will go forward. Why would the uh, Speaker of the House step into that uh, without trying uh, to determine exactly what uh, the majority leader plans to do? So I'll, I'll stop that there. For this. In fact, I- this is uh, that was James Clyburn talking about how why they are doing this. What's funny about this entire process is most of us watched and the American people watched this impeachment process. There are a lot of things that have happened for the very first time ever, ever. And whether it's CNN or MSNBC, when you're not going to get a well-rounded picture of what's happening, what the Democrats have done, never have we seen an impeachment hearing done inside the Intelligence Committee. It's got to go through judiciary. That's the way that it's done. That's where articles of impeachment are run. But Adam Schiff did something called an informal inquiry, which meant there were no rules. He made the rules up as he went along. He controlled those hearings. He did them inside the basement in what's called the skiff. And most of you have heard this before, this that, that word before, but the skiff is a soundproof room. There are no recording devices in these rooms, and a skiff is generally where top secret documents are kept. So every uh, you know, a facility has a skiff, and it's a it's on a need to know basis what's in that room when there are documents held there. So if you are, let's say, you're with the uh, FBI and you're working a case, and there are documents for you in the skiff. You sign in, you leave your recording devices, your phone, and everything else outside, and you're only reading the documents pertaining to your case. A lot of people imagine that you can walk into this room if you've got the clearance and just start reading things. That's not the way this ever works. 
But Adam Schiff decided that he was going to have hearings inside that room and exclude other members of Congress. He kept Republicans out. I know for a fact in my home state, um, one of the members of judiciary, uh, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, attempted to get into the room. They would not let her into the meetings. Funny how there were leaks. Now, there was no way the Republicans on that committee were leaking the information that we heard. The information that we heard coming from those meetings came from Adam Schiff or Adam Schiff's colleagues on the Democratic side of the aisle. But for the very first time, there were these informal inquiry. So that's how they were able to drag that first part of it out. Then Nancy Pelosi said, we are going to have a formal inquiry. And so then they kept it inside the Intelligence Committee. And Adam Schiff ran an Intelligence Committee inquiry into impeachment. It had no teeth. It had absolutely no reason to exist other than to prolong and try to make the president look bad. And it was working. If you looked at what was happening at that time, the American people were listening to what Adam Schiff was leaking and then what was being said and saying, this president should be impeached. Let's move forward with impeachment proceedings. Not necessarily throw him out of office, but there was enough meat on this bone to warrant going further. So Adam Schiff brought witnesses in. How many days were they in that committee of a formal inquiry before they brought in one fact witness? As a matter of fact, the first three people they brought in, all three of those people admitted they weren't listening to that phone call. They Most of them, I think all three of them admitted they'd never even had a conversation on any level with the president of the United States. No fact witnesses. So abruptly, when all of this is going on, she turns it over and it goes to judiciary. And Nancy Pelosi said of this process, we are like a jury. We are going to look at exculpatory evidence. We're going to come to a conclusion. So now, knowing what you know, does anybody believe that there was exculpatory evidence that was even considered? No Republican witness was allowed to testify. So here's the spin from the other side. They say, yes, there were. There were two or three witnesses that were on the list or one witness on the list of the Republicans that testified. That was because that witness or those witnesses were also on the Democrats witness list. There was no witness that was solely on a Republican witness list that ever saw the light of day as far as testimony is concerned. The president's people were not allowed to participate and It had no teeth anyway because they do not issue articles of impeachment. They don't draw them up. They don't vote on them. That's judiciary. Now it goes to judiciary. They had three lawyers testify. They were all law professors and legal minds about the validity of impeachment. Then they had four lawyers testify, Republican and Democrat from judiciary, Republican and Democrat from the Intelligence Committee. So there are seven witnesses that we heard from. None of them were fact witnesses. None of them had any firsthand knowledge of this case at all whatsoever. None of them. After those seven people testified, Nancy Pelosi holds a press conference that said, we're moving forward with articles of impeachment. I am am not a lawyer, but there are a lot of lawyers that listen to this program. How many of you could get into a trial and send it to the jury for judgment, because that's what they did in judiciary when they voted on articles of impeachment, and looking at the facts entered into testimony. If you're looking at the facts that have been testified to only, which is what you're supposed to do in a trial, how could you possibly move forward with impeachment? There wasn't one factual thing said about anything the president did wrong. They've moved the, the, uh, the needle and the goalpost on all of this over and over again. 
quid pro quo, extortion, bribery, abuse of power. It's always something new. And the reason why they came to the conclusion on bribery was a focus group. They were focus grouping different words that would resonate with voters. Bribery worked. That's why they switched it to bribery. So judiciary votes on and across party lines, along party lines, they vote to pass the articles of impeachment to the full house. The only thing bipartisan about any of this were the no votes. There was not one Republican that voted for it. The standard set in 1998 by by Nancy Pelosi and by Nadler and this year and last year by both of them saying it needed to be both. It needed to be both overwhelming evidence and it had to be bipartisan. Neither is the case. So now that uh, the American people see what this is all about, they're back to saying they don't think this needs to happen. As a matter of fact, in a few moments, we'll let you hear some of that. Some of the voters saying that this is going to be bad for the Democrats. It's going to backfire. And what are the reasons for all this? In a moment, I'm going to talk to you about what I believe are some of the main reasons why this is such an imperative for the people on the left. We're going to get to that here in a few moments. You'll hear from voters as well. My name is Mike Broomhead, and this is the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, thanks. This is uh, the Glenn Beck program. I'm Mike Broomhead. And uh, so much here going on as as we're talking about impeachment and the impeachment of a president of the United States. This is an incredible time in our country. Now, there is a story out this this morning talking about the judicial appointments of President Trump. Donald Trump has appointed now 25 percent of the circuit judges across the country. Trump appointments now number 25 percent of the judiciary which is driving, I believe, driving the left insane. The prospect of Ruth Bader Ginsburg not staying on the court for another four years because of health reasons. Now, I want to say this up front. I have never, nor will I ever, wish anyone ill, including RBG. We're just talking about how her health has been, and can she fulfill another four years on that court? People are saying that probably not. Well, she is known as the liberal lioness of the court. If Ted Kennedy was the liberal lion in the Senate while he were alive, she has been the liberal lioness and has voiced her displeasure in this president a number of times. If she were not able to stay on the court, it will be a Trump appointee that replaces her. So it is imperative for the left to get rid of Trump. And if not Trump, the consolation prize would be to flip the Senate. So we're watching this plan unravel, and I believe, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I I don't believe in conspiracy theories. Often, there are some things that we find out later are way too shady to not be true. We're going to get into that in a few minutes with what happened with Carter Page and the uh, FISA investigation, because that turned out to be a nightmare for the FBI. But in this case, the the idea that they flipped the Senate if not replace Trump or both, is imperative because of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If the Democrats could control the Senate, they control the Judiciary Committee, which means they don't have to pass through any Trump nominee, not one. So what they're doing now is setting up Trump as the bad guy. They've got articles of impeachment that they know are are really weak, as weak as it possibly gets over that phone call. The more people hear of that phone call, The more they hear of what the charges are against the president, the more American voters are saying this is not something that we want. This is not what impeachment was intended to do. 
and we are watching the unraveling of them. And I, I have to give Nancy Pelosi credit for uh, politics. And I mean this sincerely. She is a phenomenal politician. The reason why she's the Speaker of the House, she raises money like nobody's business. She is a great fundraiser, but she also is a power broker. Remember how she forced through Obamacare, making promises of fundraising and making promises of support and also promising bad things if her colleagues didn't get it passed. But you look at what they are doing right now or how they've done this with articles of impeachment. So this is what Nancy Pelosi's got going on. And we're going to talk about more of this here in just a couple of moments. Again, I'm Mike Broomhead on the Glenn Beck Program. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Hey, thanks again for being here. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. It's the Glenn Beck Program. My name is Mike Broomhead in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Looking at local and national economy, the American economy is going as good as it's gone in my lifetime for sure. And if you look at statistics at who it's helping and who is who is gaining ground, this is working for all Americans. This is a reason for us to celebrate. Going back to 2016, there was a story, economists saying that a Trump win would tank the stock markets. There was one expert economist in 2016, right after the election, before the inauguration, and he was asked, how long will it take for us to recover from a Trump economy. And he replied, we'll never recover. That was the doomsday prediction. That what he was going to do was destroy the American economy. Well, the exact opposite has happened. Let me just run down some statistics. Perspective, I I have uh, very close friends, and I mean this sincerely, I have very close friends that are very liberal. I have a friend that I grew up with that I love like a brother. One of my first friends when I reload, I grew up in Southwest Florida in a town called Fort Myers. I moved there when I was young. I was 11 years old and one of my first friends. And we grew up in the same neighborhood, rode the same school bus. We were inseparable as a group for years and years and years. And how we breathed the same air and became so polar opposites politically, I don't know, but we still, we argue like crazy, but we love each other like brothers. And his view of the economy being dismal, and he's a business guy. He's a guy that runs a business. Is impossible for me to wrap my arms around outside of a disdain for Donald Trump. You can have a different opinion on feelings, but the facts are still the facts. We know that here in the month of December, the Dow Jones has added over 10,000 points since Trump was inaugurated. 10,000 points since Inauguration Day. The Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P, the three big indicators, have all touched and or set records this month. All of that is absolutely true. The lowest unemployment rate in 54, 55 years, that also is true. Highest number of Americans employed. But when you look at the demographics, it's the lowest black unemployment in America Since they've been keeping the statistic, same with Hispanic unemployment, over 60% of the jobs created during this administration. Notice I didn't say by this administration. 
during this administration, over 60% of those jobs have gone to women. You've got unemployment low, employment rate high. You also have growth. You have people's incomes growing faster now than they have in decades and very low inflation, which means you are not just keeping up with your way of life with your raises. You're actually living better. The bottom of the economic ladder, the lowest earners in America have seen the greatest growth. There are two indicators. They say it's been years and years and years since both have been a positive answer. One is, are you better this year than you were last year? The answer from the majority of Americans is yes. Do you believe you will be better off next year than you are this year? Again, the overwhelming answer from the American people is yes. Working class Americans are earning more and keeping more of their own money. The tax cuts helped everyone. And this is my problem with what we're seeing in America, that instead of us being overjoyed, it's I live in a desert. I live in Phoenix, Arizona. There is a time of year we call monsoon season where the rains come. People dance in the streets when it rains here because of the long spans without rain. When it rains, it's a joyous experience. We should be overjoyed with the rain right now. We had so much of an economic drought and climbing out of a recession, businesses scraping by and not thriving. And now businesses, big and small, are thriving and individuals are thriving as well. As a nation, we should be overjoyed. And as a party, the Democrats should be overjoyed. The Democrats should be thrilled with what's going on. The working class Americans, the working poor, as they call them in America, that they claim to be the champions for, are living better now than they have in decades. Wage increase, job growth. You have the Democratic candidates that are still selling a bill of goods that say we need an economy that works for everyone. What demographic is the economy not working for? Every American that wants a job right now has a job. And we also know wages are going up. They can't say that they're not good jobs. They absolutely are good jobs. We have now shown that when the government gets out of the way, the lives of people improve. They do it themselves. All this president did was unleash the job creators. And look what it's done. I will say one thing that a mindset shift that all of us could learn from. When you hear the Democrats talk about givebacks to corporations, I want you to change the way they think and the way you think. A tax cut is not giving anyone anything. A tax cut is taking less from them. The government doesn't give you anything. They take less from you. A tax is them confiscating some of your earnings. If they take less, they take less. That's not giving you anything. And I'll tell you, that shift in mindset would have people go a long way when looking at how this economy has improved. Not done with this by a long shot. There is still so much more to talk about with the economy. Statistically proven for both local and the federal level what this president has done with policies that has unleashed the American people and how it's going to bode for him in the next election cycle. All of these things, impeachment, all of it intertwined, and the economy is one of the key pieces of it. We're going to get to more of this coming up here in just a moment. And again, my name is Mike Broomhead. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and this is the Glenn Beck Program. 
talking about the economy and what's happening in America, there's just good news. And it's something we all should be celebrating. Why are the Democrats being defeatist? Because it goes against the policies of what's happening. You realize that Barack Obama couldn't get elected right now. There's no way that he is far enough left, if you can believe it, that he could get elected. His border policies. Joe Biden is actually apologizing for the border policies of the Obama administration as part of his presidential run. It's also why he's playing to 50 people in Iowa, but that's what he's having to do. But when it comes to the economy, you're hearing the Elizabeth Warrens and the Bernie Sanders and and well, even this, the, the billionaires, the Steyers and the Bloombergs, you hear them wanting to punish wealth. When you talk about paying their fair share, we can talk about the cliches forever. But let's look at what happened to unleash the American economy and it's working, which is why they have to say it's not working. First of all, when the president took office, he did what he could do by executive order, by rescinding a lot of regulation. If you would ask corporations five years ago, four years ago, what is more oppressive and what is harder for you to work around, taxes or regulation? There are a lot of corporations would have a hard time answering that question. Compliance with big companies and even small companies is difficult. Trying to get around the federal regulations or to deal with federal regulations is costly, I was a contractor for many years. I was a, I was an electrician, and then I had my own company for a while. And you understand that compliance or non-productive labor eats up a lot of money in your company, even if you're small. And I ran mine out of my house. It is a difficult thing to do. So you look at the compliance and the regulation that and restrictions that are put on businesses, and the president began to rescind those. And the way he won the election is not with the Russians. If you look at the over 200 districts that President Trump won in swing states, those 200-plus districts in swing states that had twice voted for Barack Obama voted for him, some by a very slim margin. We understand that. But the message that this president sent was to the American worker. This was to the working class. And I would say to you, probably many of them working-class Democrats, the president said... I am going to reduce regulation and taxes on your bosses. They are going to make more money. But what they're going to do is reinvest in their business. They're going to repatriate money. They're going to repatriate jobs. So those manufacturing jobs you've been relying on, those $25 and $30 an hour jobs are going to be secure. You're not going to be fighting over $12 and $13 an hour jobs. And they liked what they heard, and they said they were going to give him a chance. This president will go back into those swing states and he will say promises made, promises kept because he reduced regulation where he could on his own without legislation. And then beyond that, he was able to get the Congress to fight over a tax cut and the tax cut passed through and we watched the economy begin to soar. Now, we talk about deficits and the Democrats are telling you the tax cuts are responsible. You can just Google search it yourself. Don't take my word for it. If you're someone on the left that's listening as opposition here and is looking for a way to um, to defeat what I'm saying, go and look at the raw data. The United States Treasury is collecting more income tax dollars from individuals and businesses now than ever in the history of America, even when adjusted for inflation. So exactly what this president said was we are going to broaden the economy. We're going to put people back to work, and that will raise the dollar amount in the United States Treasury. The reason why we're having such high deficits is we are still spending at an alarming pace. There's no doubt that spending needs to be reined in.
And the analogy I use with my local audience in Phoenix is I use the analogy of Black Friday after Thanksgiving. How is it that companies get in the black when they're drastically cutting their prices? The answer is volume. They broaden their customer base. So instead of Walmart selling a hundred TVs on Saturday, Walmart sends, sells 1500 TVs on Saturday because they're on sale or on Friday, on Black Friday. That's how they get in the black. Well, with the American economy, they made us, it made us more competitive. So we look at just those two things alone. But then you factor in this USMCA. Do you realize, and this is where a lot of people say, you know, Donald Trump isn't really as conservative as other presidents have been. Donald Trump and the USMCA gave the labor unions in America exactly what they wanted in a lot of ways. Mexico is required, according to the USMCA, to improve working conditions and safety conditions in their manufacturing plants. And there are wage minimums for Mexican workers. What that does is make America more competitive in the manufacturing world. That's why they're talking about a couple of hundred thousand jobs. The same with agriculture in America. This is the USMCA that Nancy Pelosi had on her desk for over a year and then came out last week and said, we're doing it because it's good for the American people, not because Donald Trump. She sat on it for over a year. Now the news that China is going to drastically reduce uh, tariffs next year, beginning with a lot of them in January, which means that I am a free trade person. I'm not someone that likes tariffs. I was uh, doubtful of the president and thought it was a bad idea to get into a trade war, that it does hurt people economically when that happens. In the long run, the way it looks, our economy is soaring even more because it is the tariffs are going to start going away. China is starting to deal with the U.S., realizing they need to be a part of our economy. These are all good things that this president has done. I'm not saying it to defend him to get him reelected president. I'm saying as an American, look at what's happened this time of year. All Americans are feeling better. I shouldn't say all Americans. Every demographic of American is feeling better. Why? And how do you know? Travel over Thanksgiving was the highest in, in decades or forever. Same thing we're seeing holiday travel now. Gift giving and spending. You look at the spending that's happening now online and in brick and mortar stores. It's setting records. Why? People are willing to take a risk they weren't before. You limit yourself with the holidays for Christmas. You talk about the what you, what's your maximum you're going to spend on gifts. You stay within a budget. People are taking more of a risk now. They're willing to use a credit card because they believe their job is secure. These are the working class Americans. And when inflation stays low, they have more discretionary income. It's a huge difference for a working family. I spent my entire life until I got into radio 10 years ago as an hourly wage worker or an employer of hourly wage people. And a, a, a gas, a spike in gas prices is a tax on the working family. How many of us out there have spent time in our lives working for a living, you know, five-gallon bucket of tools in a work truck where you make a decision on Thursday, do I buy lunch or bring lunch because I may need that five bucks to get gas in my car to get to work tomorrow to pick up my paycheck on Friday. That paycheck-to-paycheck worker, they are seeing improvements in their life. They are seeing improvements in their quality of life financially. 
And along with that, we're watching anybody else that has, I have a retirement account, I have a 401k. You look at the people that have investments in this country, and we've added over $11 trillion. It's approaching $12 trillion now, I believe. $12 trillion in wealth in the time that this president has been in office. This is a time, especially this time of year, when Americans take inventory about how blessed we are as a nation. This is a time when we should be overwhelmed with joy and thankfulness that we are in a time of prosperity in this country. But instead, because of American politics, they're going to take the facts I gave you and tell you that those aren't the facts for everyone. No, they're not the facts for everyone, but they are giving people an opportunity like they've never had before. I have grandchildren now, and I think about them, and the oldest one in 10 years is going to be making choices about either college, workforce, or military? Am I setting him up to be successful if he works hard? And the other thing I will say is charitable giving. The three things we have to offer this world, money, talent, and time. Those are the three things we have to offer the world. And you will see a spike in charitable giving from every level because even the most working class, what we would call the working poor in America, are feeling blessed by improvement, and they tend to give even more. I say this as a form of encouragement. If you read the news, which I do every single day because of this job, half of America seems to think that we are on the verge of economic collapse. We have not seen these kind of great indicators in American economy, certainly in my lifetime. This is a time where entrepreneurs are taking risks, where people are changing jobs because they're available, where you're able to go out and earn more money. Nothing is perfect, and we're far from perfect, but we are so far improved from where we've come. And then we get into the argument about, well, how much did Obama add to the stock market and how much? It's such a silly, silly argument. You want to have that argument, let's do that. You know, the the coach of the Cleveland Browns has led that team. No offense, Cleveland, by the way, I'm, I'm using you as an example. But the coach of the Cleveland Browns has won a lot more games this season than they've won in the two previous seasons combined. You want him or Bill Belichick as your head coach? There's a difference between um, doing better than we were and setting records. There's a major difference. And the policies of the left aren't working or weren't working and we're seeing the policies of the free market and giving people more of their money and low taxes as being the fuel to an economy it defeats everything these presidential candidates on the left stand for and it defeats every bit of their message so the only way to do it is to tell you that it's not true you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program you know the fact of the matter is, when we look at this uh, FISA case, every American should be concerned. We should be able to pull Donald Trump's name out of it, which I've been saying for a very long time. My name is Mike Broomhead. I'm in for Glenn th- today, and I, I want to thank you for being a part of the show. Merry Christmas. The important things that are facing this country right now, when the president said drain the swamp, this is a part of what the president said. But if I could, and I don't know that I can do it, I wish I could, remove Trump from the equation because of the polarizing figure that Donald Trump has become. The left has a seething hatred for him, and you understand when you hate something, you can never do anything wrong to them, and they can never do anything right. 
But what happened to President Trump, what we're seeing now, what's been revealed in a report, and there's some very important things about this IG report that America must understand. Number one, he had no arrest nor subpoena powers. No one had to talk to him. The only people that spoke with him were people willing to speak. And what he found was damaging. But when you look at what's happening or moving forward, there is a criminal investigation going on right now. The U.S. Attorney's Office is looking at this, and they are going to, they do have subpoena and arrest powers. You are going to see very prominent figures lawyer up. When the IG report came out, the first thing James Comey said was, this vindicates me. Lindsey Graham asked Horowitz under testimony, uh, is he vindicated? To which the inspector general said, this doesn't vindicate anyone who ever touched it. So then James Comey went on with Chris Matthews, or I'm sorry, Chris Wallace, and said, you know, he's right, and I was wrong. He didn't take any blame. He pleaded ignorance. He said, I was ignorant. I didn't know this was happening. It shouldn't have happened. Well, when you look at the investigation, there's a reason why James Comey and Andrew McCabe ran that investigation out of headquarters. It was so they could dot the I's and cross the T's, correct? They wanted to make sure that everything was done right. Everything was done right. And it wasn't. This was political from the word go. And I don't necessarily, when I say political, do I mean Republican, Democrat. I think this was self-preservation by McCabe and Comey. They had to investigate Hillary, they had to investigate Trump, and they didn't want their names on a bad report when dealing with the one that would become president. And they guessed, like everybody else guessed, that it was going to be Hillary. Now, without going into all of the other parts of this, look at just what happened in the request for a FISA order. They went to a FISC, or a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, with a boatload of shoddy evidence and claimed it was all true. As a matter of fact, during the time when the media in America was defending all of this before they had any of the proof either way, one of the CNN anchors said they the dossier was used as evidence. They must have verified it because they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't use it if it wasn't verified. That's not how they operate. That's not how they're supposed to operate. A little insight into FBI um, former agents with the FBI, there is a very strong fraternity of for, former agents. They take the character and the um, the honesty of the agency very seriously. These are people that are very well-educated, intelligent people that could have done a lot of other things and made a lot more money, but they dedicated their career, well, since 9-11 in, in counterterrorism and keeping America safe. And doing so within the confines of the Constitution, they take that very seriously. The reputation of FBI matters to former agents of, F of the FBI. And when you see former agents with a seething anger toward what James Comey did for political purposes, they can't stand it. Start at the beginning of the fact that they ran it out of headquarters and not out of a field office. James Comey is not an investigator. James Comey is a bureaucrat. He had no business touching an investigation, number one. First and foremost, without a doubt, that never happens, nor should it happen, and this is why. But when you look at what they did to Carter Page, they took a document known as the dossier that was riddled with lies. 
the dossier was written by a man named Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele was a British agent and a Russia expert. He was hired to go to the Russians to get dirt on Donald Trump. He wrote things in that dossier that were so untrue. But it's opposition research. So when Hillary Clinton's campaign says sources say this and sources say that, Donald Trump was doing horrible things with prostitutes in a hotel in Moscow. Well, the president's lawyer comes out and hands over his passport and says he wasn't even in Moscow when they say this happened. That's a political fight. When you use that dossier as evidence to surveil an American, you are swearing to a judge that this is stuff you've proven. They didn't vet this dossier, one, not one word of it. Not one word. So if you have neighbors, if one of your neighbors said of you to, to the police, I think my neighbor is a drug dealer. I've been writing down the fact that there are kind of the strange cars show up at the house and they don't stay very long and they stay come at all hours of the night. And I'm pretty sure that they're dealing drugs. Here is a list of the cars I've seen in their driveway in the past 48 hours. So a police officer takes that information from you and goes to a judge and swears to a judge that this is the comings and goings that they've seen. And there's a reason now to surveil you either electronically or for the search warrant for your house. That would be the most absurd thing you could imagine. But what they've done is exactly that. Those police officers take your inf information, they vet those license plates, they do their own surveillance, they do their own homework, and they go with evidence to a judge to get a search warrant if it's warranted. They don't take someone else's word for it. And that's exactly what happened in this FISA case. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to tell you about something that you should either end your day with or um, start your morning with, and that is... The news and why it matters. If you like this show, you're going to love the news and why it matters. It's a bunch of us that all get together at the end of the day and just talk about the stories that matter to you and your life. The news and why it matters. Look for it now wherever you download your favorite podcast. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.